Welcome to the Education Marketing Leader Podcast with Chris Raposo. If you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights, draw inspiration from education success stories, or just want to sharpen your marketing skills, you're in the right place. Here, we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field, offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies. Whether you want to understand your audience better, stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. Looking forward, what do you see as the future challenges and opportunities related to ethics and public relations, especially with the rise of AI? There's a lot of deep fake going on right now. So how can professionals be ahead of the curve to ensure they're always acting in the best interest of the public? You know, the, the, the first thing is, is very, very interesting. Coincidentally, I was reading the, the Taipei Times this, this morning, and one of the, the head editorials was about disinformation and how do you deal with it. And the, 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 the main thing you have to be, uh, be aware that it's, it's going to be there. You're, you're not going to stop it. You just have to, and this is speaking specifically to public relations practitioners, you don't have a choice anymore. 24-7, you've got to be aware of what's going on. And don't just look at the headline, read to see what they are saying. And if you see something that feels a little oogie here, prepare the response. ChatGPT and all all the AI stuff, we are preparing ethical guidelines through the Board of Ethics and Professional Standards for our membership, just to give them something to fall back on. Right now, what we've got is a very solid ethical code, but this is a kind of a little different area here. And at least to give professionals, yeah, we've thought about this, We've really done the research here. Here's what you need to think about this. Here's why it's important. And just be ready for it. Be, it's, Boy Scouts say it so well, be prepared. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Education Marketing Leader podcast with Chris Raposo. Today, I have my guest, Kirk Hazlett. Kirk, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate the opportunity to probably run on way more than I should here. <laughs> it's all right. No problem, Kirk. So here, here's a little bit of background of, on Kirk. Kirk is a faculty advisor at the University of Tampa, public relations student, Society of America, and also a newsletter editor at PRSA College of Fellows Communications Committee and an ethics officer at PRSA Tampa Bay Chapter. I met Kirk at the PRSA Tampa Bay chapter. So Kirk did a little bit of research on you. You have an MBA from Golden State University and you've been a public in public relationships for about 40 years now. Why PR? Why did you commit your entire career to the art craft of PR? That's a good question, Chris. I'd love to say I've got a good answer for it. I had absolutely no clue when I first went to college. I never even heard of PR. And my first degree was 18th century British lit. And I love literature and it was, I love reading and all that kind of stuff. But then very quickly is um, 
I graduated from University of Georgia back in 1968. Not a good time to be graduating because there was this little skirmish going on called the Vietnam War. Um, and long story short, I wound up in Vietnam teaching English as a second language for the Air Force for roughly two years there. Um, and enjoyed that part. It was kind of fun. But, and here's where things started happening. The first year it was, I was straight out teaching. The second year uh, that I was there, the commander came to me and we had a day room for our instructors because we had like 2000 instructors in Saigon alone. Um, and he said, can you manage our day room and give these guys a place to come and do things and stay out of trouble? And I go, sure. And so what I started doing was doing that, arranging events for us. I would bring in bands and these kinds of things. Then I started reaching out into the community and introducing other folks to us and inviting people in. We had the commander of the um, Military Airlift Command of Vietnam come in to just to see what we were doing. Uh, so, so doing that kind of stuff, but I'm still, Kirk, sitting here with this, this English degree. And I decided, well, I don't think I want to do this English stuff anymore. I, and I decided to get a, a business degree. And that was way cool. So I started on a bachelor's in business. And as I tell my students all the time, had to take an elective. Underwater basket weaving was filled. And so I was looking, what is the easiest course I could possibly take that I to, that, to fill this requirement? And that's this, oh, introduction to public relations. <laughs> Anybody can do that. So I signed up for it. Then I started reading the book and I go, oh my God, this is what I've been doing for the last four years in the Air Force. I just didn't know that's what it was called. Mm. So I marched into our education office. I want to do this public relations stuff. Well, we don't have a PR degree. What do you got? How about a marketing? I go, okay. So, so I wound up getting a bachelor's in marketing and getting an MBA, again, with a focus in marketing. I'm in the Air Force, and I've decided, okay, this has been fun, but I'm done with this kind of stuff. Decided to get out. What are you going to do, Kirk? Looking around for jobs. And this, again, the public relations was sounding kind of interesting. I, I thought maybe I'd be an office manager somewhere, and I was in Virginia. And... Lo and behold, I'm reading the paper one day and United States Army Training and Doctrine Command is hiring interns, public affairs interns. And I go, cool. Paid interns, I should say. So I signed up for it and they sent me off to the Defense Information School where I learned all the ABCs of, of public affairs gave me my first assignment up here, up in Massachusetts. I said up here, I used to be in Massachusetts. Now I'm down in Florida. Um, and loved it. Realized that this is where I belong. Yeah, the teaching part was fun. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I absolutely love handling the communication programs for organizations and helping them to get their name and their reputation out in the public so that people understand who they are. Quick story here, and then I'll sort of slow down some. My first job went up. I was still an intern working for the Army. They gave me my first assignment at the Army Intelligence School up in Massachusetts. 
Now, I love to tell this, this part of it is I get up there and this is the intelligence school. Frosted windows, 12 foot high chain link fences with razor shop barbed wire around the top and armed guards at every entrance. And before we, my wife and I got up early, we're looking for a place to live. And I went downtown, the town was called Air, Massachusetts. And I talked to business people. And we're like right across the town. Downtown is right across the street from our main entrance. And I'm talking to business people. I'm going, hey, I'm Kirk Hazlett, and I'm going to be the public affairs office for the Army Intelligence School. What do you know about it? And I get blank stares from everybody. Now, we've been there. We, the school has been there for 25 years. We're the biggest organization on the base. We have 2,000 staff and faculty, and they've never heard of us. So I'm going to meet the commander, and he looks at me over his cigar, and he goes, why the blank are you here? And I said, sir, you have an image problem. Nobody in this town knows who you are. I'm going to fix that for you. So I said about this. By the time I left, by the time I was there for about three years, we had been featured around the world in publications, talking about our students, talking about life of an intelligence school soldier. We were visited by a sitting state represent or federal, I'm sorry, congressman from, from Washington, D.C., who represented Massachusetts, called the commander and said, I've been reading about you people. I'd like to come up and see what you're doing. And so, so long story short here, I was home. This was what I absolutely loved doing and did it for government, uh, public, uh, private sector, technology companies, and nonprofit organizations, healthcare. Tried it all, figured out that nonprofit was where my, I really loved being. Healthcare was kind of fun. Uh, and that's what I did for roughly 25 years or so until I had a disagreement with a president of an organization and uh, managed to get myself fired <laughs> and go home and was sitting saying, okay, I'm X number of years old. What do I want to do next? And the phone rings. And it's a friend from one of the colleges in, in Boston you're always over here talking to our student PR association. Would you be interested in teaching for us? And Kirk being Kirk, he starts yakking about all this kind of stuff. And she says, are you interested or are you not? And I go, yeah, I'm interested. Okay, I've got you set up for tomorrow morning with a, for a meeting with the department chair. Okay. So I wound up teaching a graduate public relations course for, for Emerson College up in Boston. Doing that. And then... So long story, again, let's get to the end of this here. Wound up teaching part-time for three different colleges. After about two years of doing that, I got two offers, one from Bridgewater State College. I love to just tell the name now, Bridgewater State University, and from Curry College. Both of them were way cool positions. And I was doing, loving what I was doing was teaching public relations courses. Uh, the difference was that at Bridgewater State, I would be a member of the faculty, cool, and that's kind of stuff. At Bridgewater, at Curry, I would be running the PR concentration. So I took that job and wound up being there. Thank you, Facebook, for telling me. 16 years. Um, and from, from the get-go, 
I was, I realized that this is where I need to be right now, sharing the, the 25, 30 years, because I still was doing consulting work in PR, but real life experiences for my students so that they know when they walk out with their diploma, they know what they're getting themselves into. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing that story. And it's amazing to hear that, <laughs> that the evolution of your career into education, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why you're here. You're an education marketing leader, even though it's PR, PR is a subset of marketing. So thank you so much for being here. Now, your expertise and your passion lies in ethics when it comes to public relations as an ethics officer of the PRSA Tampa Bay chapter. So for those new to the realm of public relations, can you briefly explain what PR ethics means and why it's so paramount important <laughs> today? For me, and, I, I, and this is, again, you're going to get the, the Kirk's intro to PR definition here. Ethics is very simply doing the right thing for the right reasons. And that sounds all, all nice and all that kind of stuff, but there's going to be instances as you're working in PR where you're going to get pushback. Why do we need to do that? What is the, and my goal now as an ethics officer and on the board of ethics and professional standards for the Public Relations Society of America is to help our members understand that, yeah, doing the right thing is going to be good for you. It's going to be good for your client or your organization if you're working from someone, but do the right things. And the last thing I'll say is, as I tell my students all the time, if you do something wrong, I will find out. So go ahead and you know, let's skip that little piece of the, the puzzle there and just do the right things. But it, it's, it's tricky because you're going to get, again, pushback from senior management. Why do we need to do that? Do they really need to know that? And you have to be able to stand up and say, yes, here's why we should do this. Not you have, you got to do this, but here's why it's good for us. And, and be, and again, be willing to stand up to people who then they, they're not intentionally trying to cheat or anything, but what they say is that's just business, Kurt, get over it. No, no, no. Your reputation is what's going to keep you alive. Right. And doing the right thing, like you just said, it's not what's you, you ask yourself, what's the right thing? You know, there are different definitions for different people, what the right thing is. Um, and as some people, it's the business <laughs> objective, right? I, I need to make sure that the lights stay on. And if there's a way to get a little bit more money in, that seems to be the right thing uh, for me, because at the end of the day, I have to put food on the table, right? So this, this is like a a pull and tug. So it's really important and relevant to have a an ethics officer as well as the PRSA code of ethics to read up on what is right and what is wrong. But now you've been in PR since the 60s, basically. <laughs> it may have evolved over time, right? So what are some key elements and trends that have significantly shaped these changes or were, or were there any changes? You know, one of the things, and this is not, not earth-shattering, observations here but media accessibility has really ramped up over the years and just you know 
look at it for, for PRSA, the Public Relations Society of America, we were formed as an organization in 1947. We developed our code of ethics in 1950. Now, 1950-ish, that's when media television, uh, most folks go look and look at me and go like, what are you talking? That was when the TV screen was about this big and it was everything was black and white and you thought it was thought it was wicked cool here. <laughs> Guess what? Now we have 24-7 access to information. And the media themselves, media representatives, they need stories and they want information. And if you're not there to provide what they're looking for, they're going to go someplace else. And they may or may not get the actual story. So as again, going back to it, go ahead and tell it. Be proactive. Don't sit back and wait for the phone to ring. Call them first. Because that way you've, you're driving the bus, if you will. But the accessibility, A, we, 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 obviously we had radio, then we got television. Now this magic thing that came along back in the 1990s called the internet. And all of a sudden, not only am I able to see what's happening here, I know what's going on in the world. And it makes a difference. And the, everything now happens just like that. You don't have to, as President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you know, he had a day or so to organize his thoughts and statements after, after Pearl Harbor. We don't have that ability anymore. Mr. President, you've got five minutes to figure out what the devil we're going to tell the people of the United States or whatever country it may be. Mm -hmm. Immediacy is there. So having said that part of it, you have to be prepared. And if you have been an honest, ethical communicator, you're not having to do any cleanup work. Yeah. You're just elaborating on what you're doing why it's good so that's you know a long rambling answer but there it is yeah i love the saying um the best thing about the truth is you don't have to remember it right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so as a prsa ethics officer and i just touched on the prsa code of ethics that document that's readily available online could you shed some lights on the initiatives and programs that the Public Relations Society of America has undertaken to champion ethical pre-op practices? I mean, you're at the University of Tampa. You're teaching those kids going through the PR course right from the get-go what ethics is and how to find the information. Can you right. shed a little bit more light on that? Yeah, we'll talk about this and just say, I'm going to go back to PR and say right now, we literally just closed out what we call ethics month. September is ethics month. And during ethics month, we offer a boatload of webinars and other information for our membership and for the public at large. Uh, and anyone can go on online and have access to a great deal of that information here. Uh, and the idea I think here is just constantly keeping the, the, the topic on the table here. Don't bring it up just when there's a, some smoke coming out of the storeroom. 
It's always there. We're doing this because here is why. And that's what we do as part of as ethics, I even say it, ethics officers is we, we're reminding our members. I, what I produce for the PRSA Tampa Bay chapter is literally little tweets. And we, we send them out periodically. And it's just little snippets about reminders of here are things to think about in ethics. And it's there. It's just you're not constantly harping and bugging people, but just gentle reminders that, oh, by the way, here's what, you know, why do we have signs along the highways that say speed limit 55 miles an hour? Just to remind you that, yeah, there are certain things that, you're, that you need to think about. So we, we do that. We do programming. Granted, September is kind of the big month. But we, we do throughout the year is constantly articles for our newsletters. We, we may have a guest speaker on, on that will bring in the topic of ethics as part of his or her overall presentation. But just it's just being there, the remi gentle reminders, not a nagging do this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's the uh, importance of staying top of mind constantly uh, with these short, bite-sized messages that you put out on Twitter or X, as you mm -hmm. call it now. So, you know, you work with these students to come out of school. There's going to be challenges to uphold ethics, especially if you're a junior PR person at a larger organization and you have maybe you have to deal with the CEO or, or someone at a much higher level that ultimately affects your paycheck. So what are some of the most challenging ethical dilemmas faced by PR professionals? How do you advise your students to navigate them? The, the one thing, and again, sometimes it sounds like just a listen and repeat kind of thing, is being open, paying attention to what is what you're doing, making doggone sure from the get-go and your, whatever your job is, that you you know what's going on. And as, as I, I, I say so many times here, do not sit at your desk all day, day long. Get out and wander around the building, talk to people. Uh, I love it when I think going back again to my very first job is I did, I, this is like our main building where's all of our directors and everything, but we had two other classroom buildings plus our our dormitories of barracks, if you will, where our students lived. And I'm constantly going and meeting, poking my head into rooms and seeing what's going on. My supervisor came to me one day and he says, every time I come by your office, you're not here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap, what a... And he, that's a good thing. That means you're out and paying attention. So that, that's, it, you know, I worked for Honeywell Electro Optics Division when I got out of the, uh, stopped working for the government. We had three different locations in, in Massachusetts, geographically separated. Again, this was 1980s, so I didn't have the benefits of Zoom to talk to people. So you get in your car and you drive. But I, I did, I would visit each of the locations and just wander through the production rooms and talk with people to, so that I would know when I go back to my headquarters office there, I know what's happening over here. I know what's happening over there. Be aware of it. And be 
so learn how to temper your recommendations. Mm. This is what it's so easy to say. Well, I told you it is. Yeah. Learn how to, thank goodness I'm a Southern raised boy here. I, I was taught how to be polite from the get-go. Yeah. Some people are a little bit more direct than that. Um, learn, learn how to communicate with your peers. Learn how to communicate with your higher-ups. And when you make a recommendation, make it based on research, experience, if you've had run into something like this before. Mm-hmm. So that you, you're you're confident in what you're recommending, recommending, and you know they're going to be as I said, I'll go back to Colonel Kozlowski at the intelligence school. Well, okay, I won't let you do this. And we just, you know, we, I'm taking I, all of a sudden I have I'm getting senior people from the government saying I've been hearing about you, people reading about you, people I want to come see you. That had never happened before. But I said, sir, this will give us a chance to let the rest of the world know what we're doing and why it's a good thing. Okay, Mr. Isla. Yeah. And it, it, it worked. But I was also very, very careful in making these plans, and I did, did my homework ahead of time. Yeah. So, so yeah. The, the main thing is this. Don't just go blindly into it. Don't demand stuff. Be professional. Confidence is key in those situations, especially you're speaking with a higher up. Sometimes I, I love the saying by uh, one of the motivational speakers that I listen to. His name is Ed Milet. He sometimes says in business or marketing or PR, it's people don't always have to believe what you're telling them, but they have to believe that you believe what you're telling them. Because that, that that breeds confidence. Like if you're steadfast and you know what you're talking about, you you studied up on the ethics, you know exactly what needs to be done, and you deliver it in a gentle way, not a boastful, demanding way. And then they're going to put their guards up and say, "Hey, listen, young whippersnapper, I'm way <laughs> up your food chain." Okay, but <laughs> we do what I say. But if you go in there with an approach of uh, humility as well as empathy you may be able to break some barriers in that regard. Absolutely. But it's, you know, to tie it in, it's all an education process. You're, you're teaching people who have a gazillion more years experience than you things that maybe they've never really thought about before. Exactly. What, uh, as an, as a faculty advisor at the university of Tampa, Mm -hmm. How do you embed ethical considerations into the PR curriculum? And do you think that students are more or less aware of ethical implications than they were in previous generations? Just because back in the day, let's say in the 80s, in the 90s, you had a piece, it had to go through an editorial process. But now everybody has, everybody's a publisher on their phone. So, yeah. and, and, you know, and that's one of the things I, I, I think, I really think the, they they don't I won't say they don't understand but they kind of foggy about the ethics part and that's where I see my role as as an as an educator is to say yeah we're going to be talking about this public relations thing or advertising whatever you want to call it here I teach corporate communications as well and every every course I teach 
I bring in the ethical side of it so that they know that, yeah, this is a piece of the puzzle here. And then I talk about, just as we're saying here, the change. And I tell them, when I was starting out, when I was you, we had a week to deal with an issue before it, we had to actually do something about it. You don't have that. Another example I used, this was 9-11. I hate to use it, but it speaks so clearly. Is um, I was out in, at a, a trade school in, in Massachusetts, talk, we're supposed to be talking to the class about community relations and that we wound up talking about crisis communication. Uh, but my wife was working downtown. My wife is Asian. She has family from all over Asia. Within 15 minutes of the plane hitting the tower, she got a call from a friend in Australia. I just saw this on the news. Is our friend who worked in Tower 2 okay? 15 minutes. That piece of news literally covered the globe. And I, 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 I use that for my students to say, you have to be aware and be ready. No, you're not going to have the perfect answer, but be aware that you are going to have to answer the question and you can't put it off. Yeah. You and, can't. And, I, and I also in my, any kind of case studies and writing assignments that I give them, there's always a little smidge of ethics just to make sure that they're thinking about it. Because yeah. ethics is, is not just a, done and gone kind of thing it's always there yeah you can't put it off and everybody wants to know the answer right away especially like 9 11 it's, it was such a scary time i was still in germany at that time and i mm -hmm. was in 2001 and i remember coming home and turning on the news and i went straight to cnn and it was live coverage while i was in germany of the towers because it was afternoon in germany then it was yeah. morning right when it happened uh tower two wasn't hit yet you know, and, and you see that and you were like, oh, my gosh, what is happening right now? And I always I have uh, I have two kids and sometimes I watch the footage of President Bush reading to those kids. And when he gets that message, you know, it always brings me to tears because just the way he handled it, he just kept going. He didn't make a fuss about it, but you could see it on his face. He was like, oh, my God, what is happening? World War Three coming, you know, yeah, so. and. Was that was crazy, but you could just see the response right away where he did the interview in the school or the, or the speech. That was, you know, the, the thing is I, I use FDR and President Bush is the two sort of contrast here. Is FDR, they literally had the time to talk about it. Bush had maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. In which time they have to, what, what are we going to say to the people of the world that yes. the world is not falling apart. That's exactly right. So with more than 40 years experience in public relations, can you share, I know it's going to be tough, but can you share a personal experience from your career where ethics played a crucial role and what were the key takeaways? You know, I, I, I'll have to say right up front, and I really thought about this question. I've been very, very fortunate in my, my entire career that I've never had a literally a life-changing kind of situation. 
But I will say, and I talk about the oftentimes the blood bank of Hawaii. That was one of my last uh, nonprofit jobs, and nothing happened bad uh, per se. But I remember one one thing that was happening, and not just us. It was the entire blood program had changed. The, the CDC had changed some of the testing requirements to, to things that we had to do. And it meant that we had to ask extra, extra questions of our donors. And then there's a lot of stuff we had to do in the background. And I, it's not a big deal, but I, I, I recognize that someone, a donor is going to ask a nurse, why are you asking me this new question here? And you don't want to raise suspicions or doubts. So I literally, I met with the president and our senior staff and said, we just need to make it clear that what we are doing is for the better service to our communities. And I started doing news releases and it's just talking gently about new testing of that. And the media very, they would, they, they saw that this, this is not a big deal here, but kind of an interesting stuff. And they just did gentle pieces about it. Then I made sure within all of our donor facilities that we had flyers and information that were accessible to the donors so that they would know what was going on. And the, the thing is, we get it done here. The question was, you know, do we really need to tell everybody all this kind of stuff? And I go, it's called freedom of information, free flow of information. Don't I don't want somebody coming to me a year later and say, how come you never ever told us that this was going on? True. That'll be embarrassing. And so as I say, it, it's it's thank you. And I will hope that my luck continues like this, that I've never had a a major life-changing kind of situation, but it's always there. You're doing stuff. When I was do, doing PR for the Army, is Army Recruiting, Army Intelligence School, we got stuff going on in other parts of the world, and my local media in Boston, okay, Kurt, you're the only person who's ever visible to us anyway. What are you people doing about this? And I have to persuade my senior officers that, we don't have to necessarily go be proactive in telling them, but if they call us, we need to be ready for a response. It works. It does work. Kirk, as we close the episode, such a rich episode so far, by the way. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. But looking forward, what do you see as the future challenges and opportunities related to ethics and public relations, especially with the rise of AI, there's a lot of deep fake going on right now. So how can professionals stay ahead of the curve to ensure they're always acting in the best interest of the public? You know, the, the, the first thing is, is very, very interesting. Coincidentally, I was reading the, the Taipei Times this, this morning, and one of the, the head editorials was about disinformation and how do you deal with it. And the, 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 the main thing you have to be... Uh, be aware that it's it's going to be there. You're you're not going to stop it. You just have to. As, as this is speaking specifically to public relations practitioners. You 
don't have a choice anymore. 24-7, you've got to be aware of what's going on. And don't just look at the headline. Read to see what they are saying. And if you see something that feels a little oogie here, prepare the response. ChatGPT and all, all the AI stuff, we are preparing guide, ethical guidelines through the Board of Ethics and Professional Standards for our membership just to give them something to fall back on. Right now, what we've got is a very solid ethical code, but this is a kind of a little different area here. And at least to give professionals, yeah, we've thought about this. We've really done the research here. Here's what you need to think about this. Here's why it's important. And just be ready for it. Be, it's, Boy Scouts say it so well, be prepared. That's right. Kirk, you're such a gem. Thank you so much for all the information you shared. I mean, it, this, this was rich and your 40 year plus um, you know, experience, not everybody has that on this show. So I know that <laughs> people listening, they get a lot out of this. So let's say there's somebody listening who wants to follow you to learn more from you. And I also know you're you're often quoted in magazine because of your insights. Maybe how can people find you if they want to get some more information on public relations and ethics? Very e The easiest way is on the, the, the sort of the three basic platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And if you just look for Kirk Hazlett, I'm going to pop up on the top of that list there. That's the simplest way. And I absolutely... And my students have figured this already. I'm, I'm online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, one quick story here is I um, was doing some stuff. I was in Taipei on vacation and looking at Facebook and a student said something. And we started the conversation going back and forth. And I go, well, I got to break off now. We're going out for dinner. He says, Kirk, it's eight o'clock in the morning here. I said, yeah, and it's eight o'clock at night here. And, all of a sudden, and he realized this, this guy apparently doesn't sleep ever. Uh, but it's just that I'm, I, so I'm constantly checking and I absolutely do respond to any legitimate requests for information and to connect. I love connecting with like-minded folks. Well, I really appreciate you connecting with me and coming on this show. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. All right, Kirk, take care. Have a good day. Thank you. And you as well.